Welcome to Plant Profits. I'm your host of Plant Profits, Vern Davis. Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. Hey, everyone, I really um, uh, have an important guest for everyone today, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this because uh, this is such uh, an important part of what we're doing in California in the cannabis arena in the cannabis business. And my guest today is, is um, got a lot to say with what actually happens uh, and how things happened in the, in the state of California in the industry. And, and I think that's a really, really important. I want to welcome, and I would want all of you to welcome Mr. Vince Ning, the CEO of Nabus. and um, uh, Vince, welcome to the show, man. I'm, I'm really happy uh, that you hear and let me just tell everyone though that you know Nabus, you know, is the leading wholesale cannabis marketplace and distributor um in the state of California. I mean, these these guys and, and ladies are are moving uh, over 200 brands and 350 you know, $400 million worth of product on an annual basis through the, the California system. So, uh, Vince, I'm really happy that you decided to participate with us here today on Plant Profits. Thanks for having me, Vern. Um, I'm really excited to be here, uh, talk about California, talk about the industry, talk about all the exciting stuff that's happening, all the all the pain that people are experiencing as well. Yeah. Because um, like you said, you know, we're, we're kind of this uh, sort of central component of the supply chain and yeah i call it, it the heartbeat you like the heartbeat of the supply chain <laughs> yeah you know and, no you really are yeah yeah and you know that that fortunately gives us a lot of visibility into you know how brands are selling through their products how you know credit worthiness is going that's kind of how we sort of bifurcate our business in terms of yeah. how how we track and measure our business and um it's yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how that's changed over time as well. Just in yeah, over the years. no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Let's 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 give let's give the audience a little base about who this guy Vince, you know, who you are, you know, <laughs> who who's Vince Ning, and how does he become this guy, right? And and so, uh, you know, the little bit I know and what I do know is you're a UVA grad, right? University of Virginia grad, Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah, great university, man. And um, you did a couple stints at Microsoft and you started a lot of businesses. I mean, that's that's the summary. Tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty much it. I mean, I think it comes down to a personality type. And yeah, you know, I think, uh, it, yeah, interesting leads. Like I, in my head, I kind of boil it down to being very uh, representative of my culture. Like I think, you know, there's like the Asian conservative side of me that- okay. I, works corporate and mm -hmm. um you know likes to please my parents uh you know not not trouble them and worry mm -hmm. them all day long and there's the other side of me that you know i was born and raised in america like first generation immigrant my parents immigrated here in the mid 80s and so okay you know from there uh obviously like i was i was bred in a western culture and entrepreneurship starting businesses like being on the front frontier of an industry is like yeah something that speaks to me. And so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's so powerful, man. When did you, when did you just, you know, did you make a decision to be an entrepreneur or it came to you? It just evolved as you lived. Yeah. I think it just evolved as I lived. I, I kind of like, there was like a, 
I guess in college I had started a few. Yeah, startups. I saw that. Like, yeah, some college startups, like music things, like random little apps here and there. And I just thought it was really fun. You know, I was just like, I, I just, I guess, I guess it kind of, uh, it occurred to me sometime during college when I felt like, um, I think it started with grades. Like I was just like, Okay. Like in college, you know, they, they say it's like, obviously your grades matter, but mm-hmm. it's, there's more to college life than that. And so mm-hmm. I was there like exploring, discovering who I was. And so I think in that time, I sort of found that it's more just about like, uh, like I, I, the other thing I'll say is like, I think I'm naturally a lazy person. And so the only <laughs> thing that really gets me off my ass is like, not someone waving a nice paycheck in front of me. It's actually like me owning what I like to do and, uh-huh. and going for it. And I think that uh-huh. really aligns like every cell in my body with like, you know, making a pointed effort to go do something, achieve a goal, achieve a mission. That you really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's what yeah. I learned about myself. You're kind of your vision, not someone else's vision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of what I learned about myself during that time. And I just, you know, tried my hand at a few uh, like apps and companies and I, I did really enjoy it. And so while I, took a like in my head the microsoft stint was kind of a step out of what i was really trying to do yeah um, based on what you just said microsoft is totally different for you yeah 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 it was like a resume builder <laughs> item <for> right me. <laughs> right no and 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 i get it i mean you wanted to i mean you gotta you gotta touch a few bases early right yeah you gotta touch a few bases early i mean this story of a couple of guys working in somebody's garage that went to microsoft to facebook <laughs> it's it's a common story now right it is it is it is so like that also helps like de-risk yeah. things in our head too it's like not yeah. that crazy of an idea um so you know from that perspective it made yeah. sense how, how did you and 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 june how did you guys really determine that cannabis was going to be that next frontier and that you guys had a vision and wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we are people of many interests. And so at that time there was like crypto market was popping off, like there yeah. was uh, cannabis, there were other areas like AI. And so like we were looking at all sorts of stuff, but I think what came, what it came down to was actually just like a personal passion. Like we just really liked cannabis. We liked the industry I think also coming from tech, we really gravitated towards an area like a market where there was actually like a physical good. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, helped make the work we were doing tangible. Um, and there was like a greater fulfillment to actually helping to drive more efficiency in the real world. Um, okay. And so that drew us to the cannabis industry. Um, obviously, you know, we we smoke weed together. Right. Sure. So there's like a sort of uh <clears throat> you guys knew each other a long time yeah we were best this friends is... growing up we went to high school together okay yeah we split up for college like, i went to uva he went up to boston to go to right Harvard. and then from there we were just like wanted to do something together too and this was like one of those uh you know it, it was it was a better business to start as best friends just because like it's about weed as yeah. opposed to like some enterprise another just another like enterprise SaaS tool um so yeah which which is a bit more cut and dry so yeah uh, yeah so that's how we got into cannabis and then i had a friend who basically um had a cannabis brand who needed some help with distribution and started we started working with them Mm -hmm. and that was a way for us to meet more people in the industry and then we just kept building yeah so that was my question is how did you with this vast because to your point this is a new frontier this is 
right? This is a new consumer products industry, mm-hmm. right? That's what it is. And you have this opportunity. You made a decision to get. How did you pick to be, as I call it, the heartbeat of the supply chain? How did how did you pick that part of it? Uh, what what drove you there? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it came down to really. We just wanted to build a very scalable platform. Actually, we we had had ideas of just like starting an Amsterdam style cafe as a retail shop. Um, okay. Okay. But then I think we thought there were larger opportunities in the industry um, just because okay. it was so fresh and new and nothing had been defined. And so, you know, from that perspective, why just limit ourselves to, you know, a few thousand square feet of space in like on a street? Um, I mean, it would have been a fun side business to run, but I think we wanted we had larger ambitions. Um, and so getting into distribution was something that, you know, made sense to us, I think. Also, like we we thought about starting a brand, but at the end of the day, it was even still today, like it's hard uh-huh. to know which brands are going to succeed and which ones aren't. I think very, like, very dicey. I mean, very iffy. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for us, like we we had been accustomed to building B2B services okay, uh, and building platforms for other businesses to transact and operate. And so it made sense to kind of get into the wholesaling side of things um, and try to just be like a, a, you know, platform for others Um, as opposed to just being like a singular brand or like a singular retailer. We kind of like Mm -hmm. zoomed out and we're like, okay, there's this greater need for streamlining transactions and payments. So that's how we got into this side of the business. Is, is you do For me, when I look at what the problems you try to solve, you know, payment system, delivery system, all these things you do, it it creates a scenario where you're having competitors who are more focused in parts of what you do. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. There's different styles to uh, distribution. Uh, We kind of just took a very simple approach. I mean, I think distribution can get quite complex you know yeah. i think a lot of people traditionally boil it down to you're like you have a sales team and then you have a logistics team and they buy and sell products to retail um and help you as a brand grow your business and get into more doors you know for us we actually ap- took the approach of let's just handle the fulfillment um because mm-hmm. you know ultimately we thought because there were a lot of brands out there and they were so new um it's definitely better for the founders of those brands to tell their own story, to sell their own products rather than go through like a third party distributor who's just doing it for the profits um, and like selling you into doors. And so, you know, maybe if the distributor is selling Coca-Cola, like yeah. it doesn't matter who who's walking up to your door selling you Coca-Cola, um, but like just where the cannabis market and industry is today None, no brand really has consumer loyalty or like a brand equity component yet. And so right. it's definitely better to have that undiluted narrative come directly from the founders of those businesses and, you know, have them tell their vision of like what their brand means. I, um, I think that's right. And look, we're going to take a quick break, Vince. And when we come back, I want to dive more into that and, and kind of really understand um, what's attractive to you when you look at a customer. Sure. Okay. And I and and I have some questions about you delivering cash and those kinds of things. So cool. uh, we'll 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 definitely get into this. 
Well, Vince, when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna really uh, pick up on uh, some of the things that you guys are doing that are adding value to uh, your customers. And also, I want to really understand what your customers, what's attractive to you, and what makes a really good customer, and how do you pick those? Because everybody's not right for everybody. So. Uh, want to get into that uh, when we come back. Uh, I am Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back to Plant Profits. Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. I'm your host, Vern Davis. My guest today is Vince Ning, CEO of Nabus. Vince, <clears throat> look, is is r- really looking at what you guys do at Nabus, right? You're you're touching. Uh, I mean, what percent of of the dispensaries that you deliver to that you fulfill at? What percent? Yeah, I mean, nearly 100 percent in California. Yeah, it's 91, 92, 93 plus, right? It's it's high. Yeah. Almost yeah. everybody. Yeah. And, and and so and you, your platform, your goal is to do, is to have a, a stable of brands that that you that you can be dependent upon delivering uh, that product to these dispensaries all over the state of California yeah. in a very quick time. Right. And in a very dependable time. And you have do you have guarantees in that? Tell me something about what makes your brand work. Yeah, I mean, you know, we are like I said earlier, I think yeah. the the fundamental message and pitch is you get to control as a brand, you get to control your own destiny. You get to decide how you want to sell, mm-hmm. who to sell to, how you want to pitch your brand and you communicate what it means to your customer. Um, and you know, we're kind of doing all the sort of uh the unsexy stuff behind the scenes to get your products from point A to point B. You know, it's like in a lot of ways for brands, it's the less value additive part, but mm-hmm. it's a necessary part of the supply chain. And so we just wanted to focus on the parts that no one else wanted to do. Um, okay. And so, yeah. And and I think that helps a brand grow a lot faster because, you know, they're, they're in control of how they sell um, and when they want to put their foot on the gas pedal and when they want to, um, you know, pull back. And so, mm-hmm. And for and for us, like we're 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 just trying to build the fastest delivery network, lowest costs, um, and the best technology to make sense of all the data that we're aggregating to our system mm-hmm. to pass it back to the brand to actually be able to make more informed decisions as well as they scale. Um, yeah, I think that's important. You know, that's a service you provide, and it's a byproduct of what you do in the in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. You get you get this data. Yeah. And so give me an example as a brand. How would I use this? So uh, before I even go there, I want to make sure people understand that you have holding spaces, right? Warehouses or right. And these these brands who you've connected with that or your your partners are right. They ship. They fill that those 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 holding spaces up. Right. Yeah. with, With their product. And these distributors, uh, excuse me, these dispensaries know they can get that. That's where they 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 have relationships with you, economic relationships with you, that allows you to dis- to deliver the product to them. And do you provide any in store services once you're there? 
Nope. Um, that's up to the brand and how they want to activate their in-store experience. Um, so, you know, we're, we're like our, our service, you know, we have warehouses, we have delivery vehicles. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we'll centralize inventory on behalf of all of our brands in warehouses across California. Um, and then when orders come in, there's basically one of two ways orders come in either a retailer places an order through our market online marketplace, or they'll go around us and speak to the brand directly Mm -hmm. or the relationship with a sales rep that a brand has. And then the brand will, you know, obtain the order and then basically submit it into the Navis portal on Uh their brand side. So then both, you know, no matter what, you know, Navis, it ends up in the same place, that order. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And we'll basically that order is booked against the inventory that we have on hand. We will pick, pack, and fulfill. And then when the time comes to collect payment, um, we will call the retailer, collect payment, whether it's in cash check or electronic funds. Okay. Uh, in ACH and and then we'll go pick up payment and then collect, process it, manage the taxes, manage our fees, and then remit the remaining back to the brand. So it's essentially a you know, we, we like to see it as streamlining fulfillment uh-huh. uh, on the one hand, and then the other is managing payments and credit terms. Um, and that's so, interesting. And that's, that's a little bit beyond uh, our traditional distributor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot for traditional distributors, they're, they're, they're sort of like their, their whole North star goal and where they spend their energy is sales. Uh, yeah. And for us, it's, you know, we, we, we cut our prices in half compared to a traditional distributor. Mm-hmm. A brand gets to keep that extra margin, build their own sales team, mm-hmm. however they like. They have full control of their own sales strategy. Mm-hmm. And then we basically just charge them for the underlying logistics service for both product fulfillment and cash. Love it, man. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I tell you. So this data that you get now, I would imagine that the data is valuable to the dispensary and the brand. Yeah, I think it's valuable for everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'd be interested, you'd be, you'd be um, surprised, but, uh, or maybe not. I mean, even like investors hit us up for this data. Yeah, I um, bet. All sorts of people um, care about how products are moving. And uh-huh. you know, I think one of the unique things about our business and where we're positioned is that because we're actually in line of the flow of products and money, okay. we're not just like a data platform. Like we we don't have to aggregate data from other parties in order to, you know, analyze it and create mm-hmm. meaningful conclusions. Mm-hmm. So our information is like exactly real time. Like we have every bit of like exact inventory numbers in mm-hmm. our system. We have exact payment numbers and credit numbers in our mm-hmm. system as well. And so you know, that way you can actually make faster, more reasonable, it's more actionable for people looking at the information because, you know, there's other just data aggregation platforms that don't release information till like, or reports for like a quarter or two after the sale has been made or like the payment's been collected. And by then the market's different. And so is it really actionable? Like it's, it's hard to say. Um, So I think part of the value of the data that we have is like actually supercharging it with the fact that it's real time too. Um, and it's more yeah. actionable in a way. And, and do you, you sell that data, correct? We actually don't. Um, it's you, you don't sell that data. We don't. I mean, a lot of it is due to like, you know, our brand's privacy um, just because like, we don't want to, you know, the brands it's, it's their data technically. Um, and we don't, we don't sell the data unless 
Um, we, we just don't. Uh, I think okay. a lot of what we do is um, we'll anonymize it, normalize it. And, you know, for a brand, they basically get an out of the box CRM when they sign up for our service where, okay. you know, they're essentially able to filter based on, you know, top volume stores and accounts, top credit retailers mm-hmm. from a credit worthiness perspective. Um, and, you know, from there, they can make their own sales decisions. But, you know, at the end of the day, it helps our business in more intangible ways. Um, mm-hmm. One is, I think, by giving them this information, they're able to target their sales better and make mm-hmm. better, uh, make more sales happen. And so, uh, so for us, like we make our cut of revenue from just volume that goes through the platform. And so anything that we can do to incentivize more, to drive more volume for our customers, that, that that's how you, you know, win. It's yeah. how we win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes, uh, I get it. Uh, I, I do. I, I get it. How, how do you choose your clients? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think mm-hmm. in many ways we don't really choose, like I think compared to a traditional distributor, uh-huh. They go out into the market, explore the field of brands, and they curate. They they're very selective of who they bring onto their menu because they're trying to create this like portfolio. Right. Um, for us, like we while we have a portfolio, our our mission is actually more geared towards helping anyone and everyone who wants access to the market. Um, okay. And so you know we're not here to be like, you know, like picky around mm-hmm. which brand wins because we believe that the end consumer benefits more when there's a wider, more diverse set of products out there um, in the market rather than, you know, us picking the top brand in every Mm -hmm. category out there and trying to just sell those. Um, I mean, I think that also the industry is so early that, you know, there's not even research being done at, at scale on cannabis. And so to think that, it's time to limit the market to just the Johnny Walkers of the world and mm-hmm. cannabis and like, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world. It it really does the end consumer a disservice. And, you know, it does the plant a disservice too, because we haven't even explored all of the, its benefits mm-hmm. and, you know, all the different cannabinoids and different compounds that can create all sorts of different types of products too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's just a lot of innovation left and to sort of throttle the market right now is the opposite of what we need to do. Um, mm. And so for us, like we're just here for, to be a platform to provide universal access for brands. Yeah. So if, if, if you were just wanted to describe what Nabus is, right. And and the Nabus value proposition to the industry, how would you describe that? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say we, like, you know, our, our, our mission is to provide, you know, choice and access to the market. And so, you know, we're here to work with as many brands as possible and we're yeah. here as many retailers as possible, let them transact. It's we're, we're here to try to create more of like a, a fair free market um, mm-hmm. rather than create uh sort of like limit rather than bottleneck the market. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's, um, that's quite interesting. And, and the, the, the other obvious question for me is, is is really why would I choose your distribution services over your competitors? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is due to the fact that we it's a couple of things. Like one okay. is we're cheaper. Okay. Cheaper, yeah, because you know we don't have a sales component, and so gotcha. brands get to mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to pay for that side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so brands get to have their own sales teams better for their own business as well because mm-hmm. they. Um, they have that direct, undiluted messaging, like storytelling. Right. Ability. 
Um, that's one. The other is um, because we don't do the sales. Yeah. Um, we also avoid, you know, taking stances in many ways. Like we're kind of like a Switzerland platform where we're completely agnostic. We don't own any of our own brands. We don't take equity stakes in other brands. We don't sell other brands on their behalf. And so from that perspective, we're completely neutral when mm-hmm. it comes to who we ship on our trucks. And um, that gives a lot of brands comfort to know that, you know, they're getting just a, a pure service by coming uh-huh. to this versus like if you were maybe like an up and coming vape brand trying to search for a traditional distributor, they might already fill their menu for vapes. And so yeah. they yeah. might they might be distributing the number one vape brand in the state. And so then you then you might feel slighted. Like how would you know which vape brand that sales rep that day just decides to uh prioritize yeah you yeah. can bet which one he did or she yeah. did <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right so exactly. so you create this environment of neutrality yeah right that that doesn't even come into that that's not even in the mindset of the of the neighbor's business yeah no i mean it's it's something where you know if you think about how like how we've been able to aggregate so much volume it's because right. of the fact that you know, we have over 200 brands and, um, and, and that would not be possible if we didn't exist. I think every single other type of traditional distributor would maybe yeah. have a maximum of 20 or 30 brands on their menu. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, at that rate, it just creates, it limits the market from yeah. product, products, category and pricing and type out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. We're going to bench. We're going to take a quick break again. And uh, we're going to come back and I really want to get into some uh, strategic relationships that you guys have gotten yourself involved in. And I think is really cool for the industry and very important, not just cool for the industry. Hey, I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. And my guest today is Vince Ning, CEO of Navis. And a really uh, cool uh, structure, business structure and and strategy of how they're approaching uh, the cannabis space in the state of California. And uh, looking forward to more conversations with, with Vince uh, when we get right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Great. Welcome back, everyone, to Plant Profits. I am your host, Vern Davis. My guest today is Vince Ning. Vince is a, a founder and CEO of Navis. Vince, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having this chat with you. You guys are really uh, doing some things. You're making news. It's what you're doing. And it's really it's really cool from where you sit in the heart of the and being the heartbeat of the supply chain in the cannabis business in the state of California, man. Talk to us about some of the, the most um, important relationships you guys have just engaged in. And, uh, and let's talk about why. Yeah, I mean, I think over time it's been very, very much the same. I mean, the partnerships we have with our brands, um, that's always, you know, super important to us. Like we really try to treat everyone as equal partners. Um, You know, I I think, I think a lot of, you know, as a platform gets larger, it does, it does exhibit, you know, various different types of bargaining power. But I think Mm -hmm. for our, in order, I, I kind of view it as, in order for our, our platform to succeed, we need to help the brands on one side and the retailers on the other side. So mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, we kind of view ourselves as this, um, you know, unbiased uh, sort of arbiter of stability in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the partnerships we try to strike 
also come down to being agnostic as a platform, like I was talking about earlier. Yes. And so it always has to fit the, those kind of criteria. Um, otherwise, we're kind of tilting the platform uh, one way or the other. Um, you know, another partnership that has been a little different, um, but I think been very fruitful over the years has been, uh, you know, partnerships with sales agencies. You know, we pretty much do all the nuts and bolts of logistics, right. uh, but there is a component of wholesaling that does require, you know, a high touch uh, sales effort. Um, okay. And so, you know, the the so kind of like comes down to relationship building, the um, you know, negotiations with the retailer on like, you know, volume discounts and things like that. That's like not something that our platform just does and can make decisions on behalf of brands for. And so, you know, we've worked with, uh, you know, sales agencies like Pedal Fast or the No or the Good yeah. People and like, that's actually helped, you know, because they each have their own portfolio and they, you know, work on top of the Navis platform to fulfill once they mm -hmm. receive orders. And so for the brands who don't want to do their own sales and Navis doesn't do their own sales, they can actually work with this, uh, like a third party sales agency as mm -hmm. well. Um, and so that's created a lot of, I would say, uh, choice in terms of how, um, how you want to sell your products as well. You know, you can be a totally hands-off brand with Navis, still get the logistics and sales service. Navis still gets to maintain its neutrality because Navis isn't the one selling. That's right. Like these preferred sales agencies um, that work in our ecosystem um, that you can sign up for. So, so you're, you're just another opportunity for you to create value for the brands. Exactly. And, exactly. Right. And it gives them another reason to choose you as your as their distributor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what is required in terms of using Navis is just using us for fulfillment um, yeah. exclusively. But apart from that, you know, we try to give you as many options on how to sell products, how to finance, right. um, how to uh, analyze your information. And so mm -hmm. that, like we, we have other services as well that we offer, like beyond having this ecosystem of sales agencies where we've created preferred partnerships with. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we also have a financing business that works and that, that, that we provide where we provide, you know, short-term liquidity to brands who sell products, um, you know, on, on payment terms. And so mm -hmm. that's another area of business, totally optional, um, but gives brands flexibility, um, to manage their business during seasonal times. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have the data analytics platform that we talked sure. about in CRM. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, like you said, it's kind of like the heartbeat is the fulfillment mm -hmm. part. And then yeah. there's like arms and legs. There's other parts of our business that help like smooth, smooth out volatility for our customers, both brands and retailers when there's random spikes in the market or like, you know, when there's seasonality, essentially. That's that's very good. That is very good. And you you just um, another type of relationship, this equity trade network um, partnership. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, over yeah. the years, we've always tried to um, build our business, you know, as like a low cost provider for fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And we've consistently, you know, supported equity partners, both from like a, you know, overall corporate business perspective, like we've helped, um, like our license was attached to actually a equity partners license in the beginning. Um, and then over time, we've just kind of created systematic discounts for uh, equity, business, equity owned businesses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for me and June, we're both Asian descent. We actually, when we first got into the market, we, we, we're not, we're not like 
traditional ops people or like warehousing people, you know, we're, we're engineers. And so that's uh-huh. kind of the approach we have, but people just called us the Asian distributors in the beginning. So it kind of like, we just have like <laughs> really? a, a spot for our, you know, <laughs> our heart to basically help out the minorities and the equity owners. And it's important yeah. industry too, because if our fundamental vision is to help anyone and everyone gain access to the market, right. They're disproportionately affected that never get picked are the equity owners because you know they're just kind of like they're they're a lot of them build brand new businesses and so for a large for for a traditional distributor it doesn't make sense for them to bring on to take a bet sometimes on those smaller players and for us like we have like it is part of our mission actually to we're incentivized to actually help those people so we give consistent discounts to help them grow their business equity trade network is um probably one of the more formalized um partnerships we've had where you know there's essentially like a, a, a group of equity part, uh, business mm-hmm. partners that have, you know, create uh, banded together to, and we've gave them a, basically like a beyond just a discount, like a group rate um, to help uh, their business succeed. And they're, they kind of got together and are trying to consolidate resources as well amongst their teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're working with like a, you know, they, they have like a single sales agency selling many of their brands they have a single distributor with like a preferred rate for their equity for all of their equity partners. Um, so in many ways, it's kind of like a collective um, that we chose to support. And, um, you know, it's, it's exciting for us too. Cause I think the other, the other component, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit right now, but no, like, that's right. I'm just excited about this, but no, you know. I know it's, it's a very <laughs> important. Yeah. 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 And, and the other thing is just with beyond like, you know, fast shipping, low pricing, mm-hmm. It, the other intangible I would say that's similar to like data is um, just product diversification on our platform. Like a retailer, it 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 helps a re- like it drives more sales purchasing behavior from a mm-hmm. retailer. If a retailer buyer knows that Navis just has everything, um, right? Even if we don't sell that many beverages, for instance, like they right. at least can buy a couple of cases. At least it's a one stop shop. Like they buy. Right. And, and so that helps drive more demand to the brands that work on our platform. And so, you know, one of the areas of diversification is actually on the social equity side of things or on the minority owned businesses side of things. And we need to have, even though they don't necessarily drive the largest volume day one, mm-hmm. um, it helps retailers make purchasing decisions because they know they can buy you know, the, their staple brands from us mm-hmm. and then tack on a couple of orders and cases from, uh, you know, case packs of inventory from like a social equity owned brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, yeah, and that, that helps them understand that, you know, if, if they wanted to, to really make that a part of a, a, an, an obvious part of their uh, business uh, from the consumer's eyes, yeah. then they can do it. I, yeah. I love the fact that you guys literally are in every dis- uh, dispensary in the state, because if I had a brand, that's who I want moving my products around. Yep. Because, you know, you got all these distributors, you know, they may be in a hundred, they may be in 250, they yep. may be in 300. That basically means I'm out of business in the other 350. Yeah. Right. And, yep. and I like the fact that you're everywhere. Yeah. And you can get to everywhere and you have a rhythm with every every part of the state. I think that's that's really cool, man. And um let's talk about the state for a minute. You know, California, yeah. if you it's not just California, right? If you look at if if you look at mature legal cannabis markets, Starwood, Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, 
man, um, it's um, it's been a tough sledding. You know what's 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 going on, and how do you approach that in your business? Because California is your focus. Yeah, I mean, you know, California is our focus. I, I think it's just it's the biggest cannabis market on earth. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's in shambles in many ways. Um, and that's scary because yeah. the long-term expectation for many folks in the industry is that California is going to be this beacon of hope for the global cannabis industry. That's not, that's not a good sign. Um, yeah. so, I mean, in many other States, while there's issues, I think it's sometimes issues for different reasons, but in California, it's, you know, taxes are too high. Mm -hmm. um, there's not enough retail access. Um, it ultimately just leads to, um, you know, I guess the economics just make more sense for the illicit market to continue growing. Well, is that the other problem? There's not enough, uh, you know, uh, requirements or just enough uh, legality yeah. uh, opportunities or illegality opportunities to, to cut out uh, the illicit market out of this business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's pretty accurate. Like the system is set up to have businesses fail in many ways. Um, so yeah, I think everyone's trying to make their best, but mm -hmm. where we see a big responsibility is, you know, we're, we're this infrastructural component of the industry. We're kind of like a utility in many ways. Like we're just mm -hmm. here to provide a shipping service and a collection service. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it does mean we can also speak on behalf of um, like we have, we just have a bird's eye view on like the, the industry and all the transactions that are happening. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that allows us to go to the state and negotiate and lobby mm -hmm. and, you know, cause we, we, we've heard all these stories. We can pick out examples mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, a single brand wouldn't be able to go do that or a single retailer wouldn't be able to go do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we kind of, do you see ourselves having this like more or less like social responsibility as well to keep the, the, the realm, so to speak, stable. Yeah. 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 Man. So if you, if you take a look at what's actually happening in the market right now in California, is, is, is the legal market growing or is it been uh, stymied? Uh, and is the illicit market continually growing? Yeah. I mean, I would say yes to all the above. Um, it's always hard to say how rapidly the illicit market is growing, but, you know, given, you know, consumer demand for cannabis products, especially in a recessionary environment, I think people tend to smoke more, uh, I, I, you know, but, but we're not seeing those numbers grow in the legal market mm -hmm. leads me to believe that it's, you know, all it's economics, in the illicit right? market. Yeah. yeah. And, and it goes to economics now. And what concerns me is if you have companies who are, traditionally flower based only yeah or you know i mean the the flower is 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 the point of of that's where price sensitivity is at its highest that is the commodity of the industry yeah yeah right? exactly. and and so the the concern is that we're not you know we just need we need uh these brand owners to build brands that are less price sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, but I guess like it's hard, like there's just this oversupply issue going on everywhere across every market. Um, right. And that's obviously, you know, driving down the price per pound of flour. Mm -hmm. But I think that combined with, 
the lack of, of ability because like basically those those business owners planned for a larger top line because they thought they could sell it for a lot more right they paid up for costs of like packaging or like their canopies or you know things at like full price rates expecting to be able to make a margin and they can't that's when their business goes negative um and from that standpoint coupled with the fact that in this sort of like capital market recession mm -hmm no one can raise money to cover those losses and live to fight another day. Um, you know, that, that, that creates a huge pinch for the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's, there's just, you know, one, I think it starts with oversupply and it creates like this cascade of issues where, you know, mm -hmm. people can't pull themselves out of a rut because, you know, there's no one to save them. Um, and there's this like sy systemic failure around regulation and over taxation too, yes. that creates roadblocks and speed bumps in the industry as well. So yeah. there's always something, uh, yeah. are, are the politicians getting smarter though? Are they, because you, you have the data uh, that, yeah. Hey, the, the consumer interest in the, in the, in the plan is not going down. So there's yeah. something happening in this ecosphere that is, is creating this scenario yeah. And are they getting smarter or the politicians getting smarter about this? Yeah, certainly. You know, I've, I've spoken with, um, you know, the head of the tax office in California, mm -hmm. politicians, the state treasurer is a very close friend of mine. I mean, okay. they, they, they are all very familiar with everything that's going on. I think part of it, what has been the case in recent history up until this year has been there's there's too many political factions across the supply chain. Um, like retailers want something slightly different than brands and like mm -hmm. distributors want something slightly different. Yeah. So there's not this singular concerted effort to get one mm -hmm. thing done and it confuses yeah. politicians. And so they don't know where to put their efforts either. And so that's where, you know, there's like a, there's, there's, you know, there, there's this like political paralysis going on. And yeah. this year everyone was like, okay, we're all heard in the same, we're all on the same side. No more money's coming in from from investors, so right. we got to fix the tax policy. This is the one thing. Yeah, just let's get that fixed. It's going to yeah. change everybody's life a little bit here. Yeah, you know, and and, and look what happened. <laughs> you know, we got AB one ninety five passed. That's right. Nation tax is zeroed out. Um, yeah. Excise tax is you know being restructured into a better system. Right. Um, and so I think they're they're that's like probably the first positive thing that's occurred in the industry in a long time from a regulatory perspective. And yeah. Um, I, just I hope other states take that lead. Yeah. Or the, yeah. the mature states, because right now you got the mature states going like this and you got new markets like Jersey and other places going like this. Yeah. And it's just, and what you want to do is you want to see that these new states that are opening up have learned. And these, these, these government officials have learned from the, the mature states that don't have these new states go through that cycle. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. For sure. I mean, I think that's the case. I mean, I think everyone has an ego. I think mm -hmm. new politicians and new states are saying like, oh, we just we don't want to we want to do things better than, you know, California over here. Right. But then like, you know, different might not also be great. Like it's creative. Like now, uh -huh. so like, for instance, New York, which we're taking a hard look at, has yeah. created they, they haven't created a cultivation tax, but they've created like a potency tax now. So they're like, we're doing it different, but it's still not great. Um it, like they're basically charging a tax based on how many milligrams are in a product. And so mm -hmm. what then that incentivizes is, is like people just producing a lot of low quality product out there and the consumer is not going to like that. And they're just going to continue purchasing. Well, from it also, it actually changes the business. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it just changes the business. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, tax is just like an incentive system. Yeah. So you're just incentivizing the wrong thing now. It's different yeah. for sure. Yeah. But like, it's, it's wrong. Somebody uh, get a hold of those guys in New York, please. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's the thing. You know, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, for instance, with the tax reform change that happened in California, yeah, it will provide for a better long-term state. But yeah. in the short run, you know, people need to live, be able to live to fight until that long-term state. And so yeah. where they reach benefits of this so you know a lot of the choppiness that's occurred this year um is is uh you know people just need to weather the storm basically right yeah. no doubt no doubt Vince, thank you man thanks for for showing up on plant profits and and uh putting out some of that wisdom and i yeah. love i love the the business model you and your partners have created and uh, it's really, really great. And um, I'm looking forward to having you back on here. And, and then we can maybe at some point talk about expansion of this Navis, you know, yep, strategy, yep. you know, and just get, get this thing going. But I, hey, it's you're in the number one cannabis market. The products and the capability of creating great products are at its highest in California. And the opportunity is that it's at its it's it it should be at its peak, and we just got to get a couple things straightened out. So, you know, I want to thank everybody for joining me today on Plant Profits, and I'm your host Vern Davis, and my guest today was great, Vince Ning, founder and CEO of Navis, and I, I really enjoyed this chat with Vince, and I want all of you to to really uh, go out and take a look at Plant Profits and check us out on your uh, platforms, wherever you get your podcast and uh, CannabisRadio.com, et cetera, Apple, Spotify, we're everywhere, iHeart. Give us a five-star rating. Check out. We've done 160 episodes or more. And uh, pick this one. Look for this one with Vince Ning. CEO of Navis, and we're looking forward to to having you uh, join us all. And take a look at Protus Global. You know, Protus Global is a, a talent business, and, um, and really take a look at us. Protus Global is P-R-O-T-I-S. Global is G-L-O-B-A-L dot com. And uh, you can really take a look at how we're building companies and changing people's lives. Until next time, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.